1 John 3, it's at the back of your Bible, not at the very back of your Bible, but 1 John chapter 3, last couple of books before the back. And we're going to read three verses. Got a picture of some of the dads in, in my life. That's a few years old now. My dad has since passed on. And uh, Caden is a lot bigger than that and not nearly as quiet. <laughs> but we're going to celebrate fatherhood today from the scriptures and especially our Heavenly Father. First uh, John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him, meaning the Father. Dear friends, now we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, at least not completely. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. It's always a bit of a challenge when we think about special days in the calendar and when we recognize them at the church. Days like Mother's Day or days like Father's Day. Because we all have a story about parenting. Uh, we all have a story about our parents. We all have a story or two maybe even about our great, uh, pardon me, our, our, our grandparents or even our great-grandparents if you got to know some of them uh, reasonably well. And we also understand that not all of the stories are great stories. Not all of us have great stories of being parented well. And so we have uh, some mixed feelings on days like Mother's Day and Father's Day. And we know that family life, family situations, family dynamics can often be quite complicated. So again, it can lead to some mixed feelings. Many of us, our parents have already passed, and so it actually brings a little bit of sadness to us on this day. It's maybe not always the happy day that we would like it to be because we realize that our dads or our moms or perhaps even both dads and moms have, have already passed away. And so on days like today, we actually feel a, a wee bit of a gap. And so that's understandable as well. And so there's all kinds of feelings. I say all of that to say this, that there's all kinds of feelings that kind of move through us on Mother's Day and on Father's Day. Some of these celebrations can actually be quite, quite challenging for some of us. I did a little bit of research into Father's Day, and apparently it's observed by about 110 countries. So about half the world more or less celebrates Father's Day, at least if you count up the countries. And we celebrate it here in June. There's other parts of the world that apparently celebrate it in March, and so it doesn't really matter the day. But as I was thinking about it, and I was on Facebook for, for just a little bit this morning, I was on social media, and I saw a number of people, you know, um, saying either something nice about their husbands, saying something nice about their dads, and, you know, celebrating the men in their lives and the great job that they do as, as fathers. And I thought, well, that's nice. I also wondered, too, like, wouldn't it be great if we just did a little bit more of that? That we didn't just pick a day and that we were nice to the dads today and told the dads what great dads you are today, uh, or with moms for that matter, that we just didn't kind of save it all up for one day and we express it all in one day and then for the other 364 days of the year we just kind of go on about our ways and 
don't really acknowledge moms or dads, don't really maybe work on the relationship like we should, don't maybe honor our spouses or our parents the way we should all year round. And I think that's important for us to think about that, is about this idea of, you know, not putting it all over social media on one day how much you love your husband or how much you love your wife and what a great mom or great dad they are. And everybody looks at that on one day and says, oh, that's great. And then the rest of the year, we kind of go silent. Not that we have to express it on social media, but at least that we take the time to express it to one another in our families. That, hey, you know what? We really do appreciate you as a spouse. We really do appreciate you as a mom or as a dad. And that's an all-year-round thing and not just once where we kind of go over the top and go overboard of letting everybody know what a great family we have. There is the love of a father, and then there is the love of the father. In 1 John chapter 3, the emphasis here is on the love of the father. We know that in our earthly relationships, in our families, that we don't always get it right that we don't always love perfectly, that we don't always forgive quickly, that we don't often honor nearly as much as we should. We're not nearly as frequent as we should be with that stuff. We know that none of our families are perfect in any way, shape, or form. There's all kinds of things that we're still working on as couples and as families. And so when we honor fathers, we recognize that we're honoring people that have some degree, some measure of flaw in them. Nobody's perfect. Nobody gets it right all of the time. And if you have an excellent father, or you've had an excellent father, then you should consider yourself, uh, you know, one of the most blessed people on the planet. Because there's a lot of people that can't say that. There's a lot of us that don't meet the mark as regularly, as often, as consistently as we should. And so in this passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 3, the writer who is John, of course, is reminding us about the love of the Father, not a Father. But it's a wonderful goal for the fathers or the fathers that will be in this church to, to look at and, and, and try to try to kind of govern their lives to love like God the Father does. Now, that's a lofty goal, isn't it? To love like the Father does. But that would be the goal for us. It wouldn't be just to, well, I hope as a, as a man that I could love as well as my dad did, or as well as his dad did, or as well as some other men that seem to be doing it well. That's not really the goal, to, to love like another. The goal is to love like the Father loves us. And the Bible says this in 1 John 3 and 1, that he has lavished his love on us. Look at that with me. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. See what great love that he has lavished. Two different ways of talking about the, the amount or the force or the impact or the kind of love that God loves us with. See what great love that he has lavished on us. If you wanted to parse the sentence just a little bit, the great love speaks about the quality or the kind of love, and lavish speaks to the quantity of it all. And the Bible tells us that our Heavenly Father loves us well and perfectly, but not only does he love us well and perfectly, but that he lavishes that love on us. 
Now, if you go back to the original language that the New Testament was written in, the Koine Greek, that word lavish there means far above you could possibly imagine, exceeding love, more than you could need. If, if you had a, a jug of water up here that held 16 ounces in it, and you had another jug, and you could call that God's love, and you just kept pouring that in there, the lavish love would mean that it would fill the container holding the 16 ounces, and that it would kind of rush over, it would flow over. In other words, God gives us so much love that really you and I can't contain it all, but that he just keeps pouring it into our lives. There's this great kind of love that he lavishes on us so much that he just doesn't give it in, in increments. But he gives us as much as we could possibly handle, sometimes even more than we can handle. He lavishes his love on us. And you'll notice that the love isn't linked to any kind of external stimuli. In other words, God doesn't do this. Uh, you know, Jess, if you do well this week, I'm going to love you well. Jeff, if you do well this week, I'm going to love you well. Carol, if you do well this week, boy, I'm going to pour out my love. Nah, Jerome. <laughs> Let's face it, he's only got so much, right? Because that's often how we do it in, in, in our human families. Love is meted out, love is given out based on if we feel people have kind of earned, and earned it. If they've done something really great, if they've been sacrificial, if they've remembered something, if they sent us flowers, if they brought us a gift, if they cooked us supper, if they made the bed, if they did the dishes, if they cleaned up after themselves, then you know what? We got all the warm and fuzzy feelings and we love. The Bible tells us that God's love is this. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the love of God wasn't based on behavior or action or attitude. That God has been loving us since the beginning just because he's God and just because he loves us. And he loves us so much that even when we're in a state, a spiritual state that is opposed to him, the Bible says that he sent his son to die on the cross to reconcile us back to himself. That's how much God loves us. It's a lavish kind of love that isn't based solely on performance or that we we mark a day and so we mark a day and we call it father's day and we say this well we better get the card guys i hope all you dads get a card today from somebody right i i hope you get a gift of some kind and it's not a tie Or maybe you just don't have to barbecue today. I don't know. Of course, I can hear the rain coming down. Yeah, so you might want to pass on that too. Right. But it's interesting, right? For some of us, because there's a day, we feel like we need to celebrate the day and we need to do something for dads. But wouldn't it be great if we just did that just because we love? Just because we have a lavish love and we don't need a day, we don't need a special day in June to do all of this. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much and so well that he lavishes his love on us. And what's the proof of that? The proof of that is this, that we are called the children of God. Now, if you're not normally someone who thinks a whole lot about these kinds of things, think about it this way. The Bible tells us in a book called Ephesians 
that before we came to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were enemies of God in our minds. We didn't want anything to do with God. We didn't like God being brought up. We didn't want to talk about God. We didn't want to talk about church. We didn't want to talk about Jesus. We don't celebrate Christmas. We don't do Easter. We don't do none of that stuff. In fact, it just kind of gives us a bad feeling all over the place. Because the Bible says that before we become Christ followers, we're enemies in our minds. There, there's just there's animosity between us and God. Not God and us, us and God. But the Bible says that once we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, we're no longer enemies of God. We are now called the children of God. And the idea is this. Those that don't deserve love, those that have been enemies of God in their minds and many times in their actions and the behaviors, now based on faith, now come into the family of God. And you and I, not because we're perfect, not because we're wonderful, not because we go to church, not because we are baptized, not because we are dedicated, not because we're Pentecostal, Roman Catholic, or Presbyterian, but because we've confessed faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says now the Spirit calls us the children of God and we cry out, Romans 8, 16, Abba, Father. We are the children of God. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I might try it later today, Taylor, Kyle. You know, I don't know if your dad ever came up to you and said this, you are so blessed to be my children. You are so lucky to have my last name. I mean, none of us would ever do something like that. We might think it up here, but we wouldn't actually say that out loud. The Bible says here that we are blessed. How do we know that God's love has been lavished on us? Is because through faith we are now called the children of God. And look what he says as he continues on in this verse. And that's what we are. There's an emphatic statement in that. And that's what we are. Some of us in the room, because we have some spiritual insecurity from time to time, wonder if we're really the children of God. It seems like God has children that are a little bit more deserving to be called the children of God than I am. That they seem to be walking it better, living it better, following Christ better, better behaved. And so you think, well, they deserve to be called the children of God. Ken Colnut deserves to be called a child of God. But if I compare myself with Ken, maybe I'm not doing so well. But the Bible says, for all of us that have confessed Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, we are the children of God. And he words it in such a way that it comes through here in this translation. And that's what we are. That's what you are. That's who you are. When we sing the chorus... I am a child of God. It needs to resonate within you. It needs to resonate in your spirit. And you remind yourself, that's who I am. It helps us to understand the importance of the latter part of this passage in verse 3, which is this, that those that have that hope in them purify themselves. In other words, if you know that God loves you, if you know that he's lavished his love on you, if you know that you are a child of God, what do you want to do? You want to live up to the name. You want to live up to, to the fatherhood that has loved you so much. 
You want to honor God with your life because he saved you and he's cleansed you and he's forgiven you and his grace and his love have been poured out on your life. And so you want to honor him. Why? Because I'm a child of God and I want to live up to the name. Now, the last name, it's not Horner. It's not Fast. It's not Reve. It's not Atkins. It's the name of Jesus. That's who we are. That's what I am. I'm a child of God. Even on a bad day, even in the midst of a bad week, even if you think the year hasn't been much and maybe you haven't been as passionate for Christ as you could be or should be, the Bible says that's what you are. You are a child of God. It's just like in your own family, right? Sometimes you get along with your family. Sometimes you don't get along with their family. One thing you cannot do, though, is you cannot go to town hall and say, look, I'm divorcing my family. <laughs> They're your family. Somehow or another, you gotta, you got to figure this out. you gotta, you got to make it work. You're part of the family. We are not that easily divorced or separated from the love of the Father. Remember, what kind of love has he loved us with? It is a lavish love. It is a lavish love that sees us through some of our deepest and darkest and sometimes even our most disappointing times. Look at verse 2. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, understanding that they've come into faith. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But, when, but we do know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, we're the children of God now, but you have to understanding that you're an incomplete child. What do I mean by that? Because that sounds a little weird. It means this. The Bible says that our redemption has begun when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that we're growing in holiness. The fancy word for it is sanctification. We're growing in holiness. We're becoming more like Him, right? The whole goal of a disciple is to become like Christ, is to think like Christ, is to act like Christ, is to love like Christ, is to forgive like Christ. That's not, the goal isn't like, well, I want to do it the way my family did it, the way my parents did it. No, the goal is to do it like Jesus did it. But it's not complete this side of eternity. There's still that final step which the Bible calls glorification. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. The Bible says that the dead in Christ will be raised first and those that are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we shall be with the Lord forever. All of that's written for you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In other words, it tells us that this is just the smallest part of what's to come. There's a whole life, there's a whole eternity in front of us that comes the moment that Jesus comes for us and we shall be like him. We shall see him for we shall be like him. It's speaking about that moment of glorification when you step from the flesh and blood into the spirit realm. Still cognizant of who you are and the life that you've had, but you step into another realm. We shall see him as he is, for we shall be like him. The Bible would refer to this as that faith finally becomes sight. And that's where Romans 18 would tell you that your adoption becomes complete. This isn't it, folks. 
This isn't the end by any means. This isn't where it stops as the children of God. There's a next step to step into for those that are people of faith. That's why it says in verse 3, those that have their, this hope in them purify themselves. And the whole idea of this is that I want to make sure I get where God's prepared a place for me. I don't want anything here to, to interrupt or to disrupt the journey of faith that I'm on to that final place with him where I shall be complete, glorified, whole in him. And so until that's done, I'm going to walk the walk, I'm going to live the faith, and I'm going to express the love that God has given to me. I'm going to do my best to live for Christ as I possibly can. But I understand that I have a heavenly Father who has one more gift left for me. Many of you either have or you're going to give a gift to your dad, to your father today. I want you to know that your heavenly Father has one more gift left for you where faith shall become sight and you shall be with him forever.